0: Thursday, February the 8th, and your Ben Jorofsky show starts now. Today on the show, Ben talks Trump's trials with none other than Chicago attorney Ed Mullen. The Ben Jorofsky Show, a presentation of the Chicago Reader, chicagoreader.com for everything there is to know in the city of Chicago. If you want to know what to do, where to go, what to eat, what to drink, what's happening in arts, politics, culture in the city of Chicago, you need to head to ChicagoReader.com because you'll find everything you're looking for and probably a little bit more. And if you want more Ben Jarovsky, head to ChicagoReader.com forward slash Jarovsky. That's J O R A V as in victory S K Y.
1: Hello again, everybody. Ben Jarofsky here. We're calling this Feeding Time Thursday, and here's why. <laughs> An excellent example uh, in today's – well, throughout the uh, media empire in the city of Chicago, all the media outlets, all the mainstream media outlets, sometimes Tribune, Black Club, all of them, uh, in one degree or another. But I have the bright one in front of me. Um, and it just shows you how things work here in the city of Chicago. So the Chicago White Sox, uh, out of nowhere – have announced uh, that uh, they're thinking of building a stadium and at the 78, which is in the South Loop, Clark and Roosevelt. Uh, and uh, there's that land, a huge chunk of undeveloped land uh, that the developer seemed incapable of filling up. Uh, so all of a sudden, someone got the bright idea of building a White Sox stadium there, even though the one the White Sox inhabit right now uh, is only 30 years old. We're still paying it off. Uh, <laughs> It's like laugh the stuff happens in Chicago. But no, now let's build them a new one. And then, like, we were already on brain overload because the Bears are trying to are lining up to get their public uh, handouts to build their stadium. Now we got the White Sox. We didn't even know the White Sox wanted a stadium, but now apparently they do. Anyway, uh, so what the Sox and a developer have done is they've hired a battalion of PR flacks who are dispersed. Uh, into uh, the media community of Chicago, and they say to uh, various writers, open up, we're going to feed you. Here we go. Take this. <laughs> open up. Wait, you didn't swallow that morsel. <clears throat> so good. And then they regurgitate exactly what they've been fed. <laughs> by, by the way, I've been seeing this for years in the city of Chicago. Absolutely. I can name every boondoggle that's come out of the mayor's mind, with daily and Rahm. And they just open up, feeding time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, my God, the media. I know I'm in the media. My distinguished guest at goes, Ben, you're in the media. I know, I know, but it's embarrassing. I don't know. At least throw in a critical quote every now and then. You know what I mean? At least show that the brain is working. And it's like, here, I'll just read you the headline, the, the lead in the Sun-Times. Where is it? Oh, my God, Chicago. <laughs> Oh, Lord, Chicago, you are something else. Wait, hold on. I should. Here we go. A South Loop ballpark for the White Sox, coupled with redevelopment of the surrounding area, could potentially yield billions of dollars in economic impact for Chicago, create thousands of dra- jobs, and draw 5 million visitors a year. <laughs> what a show! Yes, it could potentially, and I could potentially grow wings and fly. I could potentially wake up tomorrow morning, being able to play the guitar like Jimi Hendrix. I could potentially wake up tomorrow morning and speak ten languages fluently. <laughs> potentially could, about the likely—just think about that, ladies and gentlemen. The White Sox, the White Sox exist large to a large degree on a public subsidy, a handouts from the state of Illinois, which like makes sure that what they at least break even. If they don't draw fans, they can't draw fans. There is no market here in Chicago for the White Sox. It's not like if you build it, they will come. There's like a dominant Cubs market and really no White Sox market. You're not going to get 5 million people. You believe that? You're believing a fantasy. You're believing that you can wake up one morning and play the guitar like Jimi Hendrix. There's like no way. This is a developer who couldn't develop his property, who came up with the idea of running a White Sox stadium there and knowing that if you say we're building a beautiful White Sox stadium, the public would be bamboozled into thinking, oh, wow, what a great idea. Let's do it and not think about what it would cost them. Nowhere, anywhere have I seen they they make all these great projections about the the amount of uh, jobs that will be created. And the oh, affordable housing. <laughs> what a joke. They're telling you, ladies and gentlemen, you're going to get a thousand units of affordable housing. You believe that, Chicago? You believe that's the reason they're doing this? It's just like, all right, we'll, we'll get the liberals on by just saying affordable housing. We don't even know what it's. What does affordable mean? There's no details. How much is how the rent going to be? <laughs> affordable housing. Yeah, affordable for millionaires. You think they're just going to. Build this big, beautiful development there and allow poor people to live there? Come on, Chicago. We can't be this dumb. But anyway, open up, feed. <laughs> There's like all these projections. There's no projection on how much it's going to cost. And who's going to pick up the tab? Now, my guess, it's beef TIF funded. That's property tax, ladies and gentlemen. I've taught you anything, and most of you I haven't taught. A TIF is property tax. They hike up your property taxes and spend it on a developer somewhere. It's essentially the TIF program in the city of Chicago. Oh, my God. I got to tell you. By the way, just imagine, if you will, if the city of Chicago approached, I don't know, dealing with a homeless situation, the way they deal with vacant land that a developer can't develop. Can you imagine this? Like thousands of migrants have come to Chicago from Texas to join all the other people in Chicago who don't have homes. Can you imagine if they go taking care of building homes for the homeless will add thousands of jobs. It will put thousands of property lots that have been abandoned back on the tax rolls. It will mean millions and millions of dollars in taxes coming from areas that have produced no taxes. What a great investment for Chicago. Instead, what do they say? <laughs> they say crime, unwanted, crisis, can't afford it, budget broken. If they only treated poor people with the respect and admiration, they treat rich people. What a city it would be. What a city Chicago would be. Anyway, enough on that. I'll put that to the side. Feeding time in Chicago. Mm, just feed them. They'll eat it. Open up. There you go. All right. Without further ado, my distinguished guest, Ed Mullen, uh, ace election uh, law attorney. Our timing could not be better. I If I planned this, if I knew it in advance, but I didn't, I just called Ed out of the blue and go, you have to come on to talk about uh, the case against Donald Trump. And by happenstance, the day Ed uh, agreed to come on is the day the Supreme's. Uh, heard, uh, the hear- they had a hearing on the Colorado case. So, Ed, your timing is perfect, and thank you for coming on the show.
2: Absolutely. It's great to be here.
1: All right. Uh, and uh, so let's take this uh, point by point. I'm going to try <laughs> to restrain myself and allow you to lead the conversation. And uh, Ed is an expert on election law. Uh, he has both defended candidates who are about to be kicked off the ballot uh, and has attempted to kick candidates Off the ballot. So you have to be able to argue both sides uh, when you're an election lawyer uh, anywhere, but particularly in the state of Illinois. Um, I view this, uh, Ed, as a classic ballot access issue. There are rules that govern a candidate's eligibility to be on a ballot. You cannot just claim a right to be on a ballot. You have to follow rules. You have to follow regulations. You have to make sure your signatures are correct. You have to make sure that your notary is correct. You have to pay whatever fees uh, that are required. You have to make sure you have no debts, et cetera, and so forth. There's all kinds of rules and regulations. Donald Trump clearly has violated the rule on insurrection at least from my standpoint, he should not be on the ballot. Simple, gone, see ya. I guess it's a little more complicated than that. Um, so let's start with the first one. Do you view agree with me uh, that this is essentially a ballot access question?
2: I, I do agree with you that it's a ballot access question, and I, I do also agree that it is something that should be you know, initially decided by the states. However, they decide their election procedures, where we here in Illinois, we start with the Board of Elections, and then we go, you know, all the way up to the Illinois Supreme Court, potentially. And usually the last word on whether or not a candidate is on the ballot is is from the Illinois Supreme Court if they decide they want to speak on that. You know, here we do have federal issues, regardless of whether uh, you go through that process or not. And so the federal issues could potentially go up to the United States Supreme Court, But what the the court is doing here is saying that Article 14's insurrection uh, section is not the same as other constitutional qualifications. So for instance, if someone is you know, 30 years old and wants to run for president. Illinois is not going to let them on the ballot because they're not qualified, and that's a constitutional qualification. If someone is not a natural born citizen of the United States and they try to get on the ballot to become president, they are are not allowed to be on the ballot. Um, and courts and election boards in Illinois and around the country have decided those issues. You know, here in Illinois, there was a challenge to Marco Rubio's candidacy when he ran for president. You remember him and that, that he was on the ballot. Um, most people forgot that. But uh, but there was a challenge to whether he was a natural born citizen of the United States and the electoral board made that decision. And, you know, in my mind, the question of whether uh, candidate is qualified because they committed an insurrection or engaged in an insurrection, is is the same as whether they're a natural born citizen or whether they meet the other constitutional qualifications of the office. But here, the Trump lawyers and you know others are are arguing that that Fourteenth Amendment uh, insurrection language is is different. Than all of the other constitutional qualifications, and should go uh, through some other procedure. Although there's some, you know, questions about whether they think it's even uh, enforceable by by the states, or enforceable by Congress, or or how it's enforceable uh, without any other legislation by the Congress to say what the standards are and how you. Do it. So so basically, they're setting aside this one qualification and deciding it completely different than any of the other qualifications under the Constitution or under state law.
1: All right. So I should point out I got so excited in my introduction. I don't, I think I neglected to mention that Ed is one of the lawyers uh, that's arguing that Donald Trump should be bounced off the Illinois ballot here. And uh, that there's a case that uh, went before. Uh, The Board of Elections, the State Board of Elections, uh, and they essentially punted, as I see it, Ed, uh, they said, we don't have or we don't want to claim the ability to knock him off the ballot. We're going to leave that to a judge. Now it's in front of a judge and he's uh, he is reviewing it. So I I should point that out. Um, And that leads uh, me to this. So let's break down some of the arguments that were advanced today uh, before the Supreme Court. And which seemed uh, to have found a sympathetic ear before the Supreme Court based on this, I would say at best, it's going to be eight to one to keep Trump on at best. Ed, I could see it nine nothing. So one of the claims uh, that's been made by Trump's lawyers somehow or other, the man still finds lawyers willing to represent him, is that he's not an officer of the federal government uh, as stipulated. So words matter. He's a president, he's not an officer. Therefore, uh the uh, 14th amendment the language in the 14th amendment doesn't apply to him regardless of what crimes he may or may not have committed. What's your response uh to that counterattack?
2: Well, what I found interesting during the argument today is that Trump's lawyer um, you know, repeatedly said, you know, we're, we're, we're not banking on this. Uh, and, and you know, there is some language and there is some history that uh, goes against this argument for them and that it's not their uh, main argument, which I, I thought was fairly interesting because, uh, you know, he had a fairly receptive audience asking some softball questions and he still, you know, wasn't Going to going to push that too hard, but the fact is that the president is referred to as an an officer, uh, and the presidency is referred to as an office throughout the the Constitution. Um, and you know there are some you know arguments that you know you take one piece of of language over here and one piece of language over here, and there might be a sense that uh, uh, there are different types of officers or that it was only applying to appointed officers as opposed to elected officers. But what that does is, it's an outcome determinative decision, which is contrary to the way that the conservatives on the Supreme Court like to look at this. So ask yourself, when this was enacted or passed, adopted after the Civil War, were the people who were passing this thinking, Okay, we don't want you know lower level offices to be filled with people who are insurrectionists but it's fine <laughs> if Jefferson Davis runs for the United States presidency and becomes president of the United States. That that is absurd. That is absurd. Um, and you know they they they're trying to say that there was some you know distinction between the office of president and and other offices and the reality is You know, it's more important that our president is not an insurrectionist than it is uh, a dog catcher in Georgia not being an insurrectionist.
1: Yeah, to this point, and it's not an election case, uh, I just saw footage, uh, D.L. Hughley put it on his Instagram page, shout out D.L. Hughley, the comedian of a judge, um, I'm not making this up, At ruling that a a citizen in Florida who had missed uh, his appearance to be a juror in a case, he got 10 days in jail. And so I'm like, wow, man, this guy got 10 days in jail from a hang-em-high judge, okay, Ed Mullen, for missing his appearance as a juror. And the judge is like, this is such an important responsibility you have. Meanwhile, Donald Trump's leading an erection, insurrection, okay? And they're like, well, you know, it's But, you have to but
2: Well, to you, you didn't ask this, but, you know, the thing that stood out to me is that, you know, there were about two hours and, and 15 minutes or so of argument. And and I can only recall one question actually asking about the insurrection itself from, from Justice Brown. Um, you know, the, the, this is all uh, legal maneuvering to try to say— okay, well, we're not gonna say he didn't commit an insurrection or engage in insurrection, but how can we thread the legal needle to say, well, okay, if even if he did commit an insurrection or engage in an insurrection, I, I I wanna keep using that word correctly, we're gonna let him on the ballot. and And I think a lot of that is fear of what's gonna happen if they don't let him on the ballot and the sense that they owe the person who got them where they are uh, to, you know, let that person on the ballot. So, you know, all this talk about self-executing, all this talk about officer, all this talk about the the swearing, what, what the oath says, you know, I, I think those are very hyper-technical legal ways of trying to get around the fact that we are allowing someone who is engaged in an insurrection against the United States of America to run to be the leader of the United States, which to me is absolutely insane.
1: I agree with you 100 percent. And just for the record, I don't always agree with that on everything. Okay, there's a few cases he's taken that I'm like, eh, come on. But in this particular case, I absolutely agree with you. They do not want to pay the price for kicking Trump off the ballot, even though they have to know in their back of their minds that there's no way he should be on the ballot. Right. And we
2: didn't really talk much about the Illinois case, but but one of the uh, there's four Republicans and four Democrats on the Illinois State Board of Elections. And the uh, one of the Republican members of the Board of Elections said, you know, I'm going to vote in favor of the motion to, to overrule the objection because I don't think I have the power to knock the presidential candidate off the ballot for violating the insurrection clause. But I think that there's no doubt in my mind that, uh, president Trump, uh, engaged in an insurrection. Well, let's, let's
1: get into that. Uh, because I've, I've stated from the, uh, the outset that, uh, in my, when I look into my crystal ball, uh, that I will see see as uh, you already suggested, uh, the nine justices c- cooking up their own individualized explanation as to why they won't do what they know they have to do. And, you know, some of them will use the officer of the he's not an officer uh, that dodge, you know, uh, others will use self-executing, whatever. They'll they'll, ha- they'll come up whatever legal dodge they need to avoid doing what they know I have to do. I believe from the get go that there was no way Clarence Thomas would call it an insurrection he would argue that it was not an insurrection. Uh, well,
2: because- he, he should not even be on the, the panel deciding this because his wife is one of the people who was engaged in the, the organization of the, the whole effort that, that led up to January 6th. So um, Clarence Thomas should have recused himself and shouldn't have even been on the bench during these oral arguments. And frankly, I, I heard Clarence Thomas talk more uh, in this uh, hearing then you know in the the two or three dozen oral arguments I've listened to over the the time that he's been on the court uh I, I heard him talk more today than all of those combined and in a case where where he shouldn't even be involved uh, and I think that's a big problem that uh you know raises raises questions about uh the the decision with the American public
1: absolutely how is it and 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 how Like the non lawyers out there. It's such an obvious conflict of interest. Clarence Thomas's wife is one of the leaders or is a leader of of the uh, election denial movement. And she was engaged uh, with the the president's chief of staff, uh, urging him on uh, to push hard to deny Joe Biden's, like the routine approval of the electors by the Senate, she was actually embracing the insurrection. How in the world is there such over lack of oversight of the Supremes? I, even in Illinois, Ed, which supposedly has a reputation for being corrupt and insider government, and I can't imagine, I mean, Ann Burke would sit down, step down on cases that uh, remotely involved Ed Burke, so how come we have higher standards in Illinois than the Supreme Court has?
2: Well, because we actually have standards. Uh, we have a judicial code of of ethics and and canons that ju- judges are uh, required to file in the state of following the state of Illinois. The U.S. Supreme Court does not. They do not have any code of ethics and they do not have any oversight. We have in Illinois a judicial inquiry board. So if someone believes that they uh, that a judge is engaged in a violation of the judicial code of ethics, they file a complaint. We have investigators. They uh, determine whether the complaint is valid or not. They can uh, fine. They can, you know, do do all sorts of things to. Uh, to remedy the situation, and that does not exist for the United States Supreme Court, and that's one of the things that uh, I, I know the the Congress is talking about right now. But you know, they they can't do anything, and I think this is this is not something that they're they're going to be able to do anytime soon.
1: This is a complete insult. Just imagine the if they're somehow reversed if like Tanji Brown Jackson's, you know, uh, husband was a leader <laughs> of the anti-Trump movement. Oh my God, he'd be crying and screaming. And uh, and I actually would be agreeing with him that she shouldn't recuse herself. Right,
2: but, but she, she probably, probably would. would. She, probably she probably would. She has recused herself on, on other cases already.
1: Yeah, uh, another example is if any are needed, that Democrats play by the rules uh, and MAGA just ignores the rules. All right, let's uh, get back to the uh, the issue of the insurrection. I'd love to hear your response to this. So I presume that Clarence Thomas uh, will eventually say it's not an insurrection, and there are those uh, MAGA judges who say it's not an insurrection. In fact, uh, right now the the people who participated in the insurrection are being hailed as heroes and patriots by many MAGA figures, such as Marjorie Taylor Greene, etc. And uh, so, what is your counter argument? to the Marjorie Taylor Greens and the Clarence Thomas's of the world who, uh, well, strike Clarence from that, from Mrs. Clarence Thomas's of the world, who argue that it's not an insurrection.
2: Well, I don't know that there is a counter argument because an argument assumes that that the person you're making the argument to has some sense of reason and, and is going to listen to the argument. So, you know, you don't bang your head against the wall. Uh, for for nothing, but but the answer is is in the the testimony. There was a five day trial uh, in the state of Colorado, and there were witnesses from from Capitol Police, experts. Uh, Donald Trump was allowed to call whatever witnesses he wanted. The plaintiffs called whatever witnesses they wanted. They were cross examined. There were rulings on on evidentiary issues. Uh, you know making sure that the the record was clean. And both sides said to the Supreme Court that that record was sufficient to decide whether or not there was an insurrection. And everyone who has looked at that record and read that record has said that it was an insurrection. And one of the things that we did in the uh, state court case was played a clip from the January 6th commission um, in the, uh, in the Congress. And, you know, the, the other side was saying, you know, they were just hanging around and talking and and singing YMCA, uh, you know, and, and then you see people breaking windows and, and yelling, Nancy, Nancy, and, and, and going into Nancy Pelosi's uh, room. And then, you know, Congress actually being stopped. I mean, this is this is the thing. You know, they were in the process of certifying that Joe Biden was the, the the president of the United States. And that process was interrupted. People had to go through tunnels, run through tunnels away from the Capitol while they were trying to certify who was the next president of the United States. So they didn't You know, they interrupted, you know, they didn't stop, but they interrupted the peaceful transition of power in the United States for the first time in our history. And if you don't call that an insurrection, I I can't convince you that anything is an
1: insurrection. Yeah, then you're being woefully blind and uh, turning away from uh, uh, obvious facts. All right. Then the other argument that was raised, and this was raised by the Democratic judges well, oh, I know I'm not supposed to call justices Democrat or Republican, but they sure act uh, that way. Ed. But anyway, uh, the more liberal uh, justices uh, and also I think um, uh, Kavanaugh raised this uh, this matter as well, that if they, the Supremes, uh, bounce Trump off the ballot, that will just encourage MAGA states, I can't even get this argument out with a straight face, I'm going to do my best, MAGA states to to bounce Joe Biden off the ballot. Uh, So that was an argument that seemed to be, some of the uh, Democratic justices seemed to be receptive to that as well. Uh, So what's your response to that?
2: Well, I mean, basically, you're condoning bad activity. I mean, why the whole point of of having a United States Supreme Court is to enforce the Constitution, and if what you're saying is that you cannot enforce the Constitution because there is a segment of the population that is going to rebel for following the rules that are laid down for how our country is governed then then you know they have succeeded you You've got to enforce the law and the consideration of of how A minority uh, of the country is going to react to to a decision upholding the Constitution should not be the reason that you decide not to uphold the Constitution. And then the question becomes, well, what are they going to do if if President Trump doesn't doesn't win? What are they going to do if Joe Biden is uh, is certified on, on January 6th of 2025? uh you know th- there's a risk of violence and there's a risk of uh you know them doing things against our our system of government regardless of what happens so i think this would be you know coddling the opposition and is is not the the rule of law
1: coddling the opposition absolutely and i i, I uh, it, this is a argument that republicans have been making more and more uh lately and uh, so, for instance, um, when the Democrats uh, impeached Trump, led the impeachment of Trump on on the issue of the insurrection. So, uh, yes, I think of the issue guarding Secretary uh, Mayorkas, uh, and which was obviously a case of MAGA getting revenge. So Donald Trump was impeached twice. We're going to impeach you. Two can play at this game, is what they always say. Uh, and I would argue you can only impeach somebody legitimately if you have solid evidence that they did something worthy of impeachment. So you cannot. I feel this is my opinion, Ed. I'll get your legal opinion now. You cannot use uh, as an excuse to let someone off the hook for. Uh, a crime. It sure looks like they committed by saying, "Well, other, other people can make false accusations against Joe Biden, so we're not going to enforce the law that uh, Donald Trump broke." MAGA's going to do that anyway, <laughs> but it's such a ridiculous and absurd argument to make. Do you follow me, Ed? It's like I, I do. Um,
2: but one of the things that the uh, you know the Secretary, the a woman from Colorado was arguing. I forget what her position was. I think she's the attorney general, maybe, or the solicitor of the state. But she was arguing on behalf of Colorado's right to keep uh, Trump off the ballot in Colorado. And she said, you know, we've got institutions that are set up to have checks and balances and, and prevent any one side from from doing something like that. And the fact is, the Impeachment uh, failed. Uh, it, they got a lot of votes, but they were they were one short. And uh, you know, even if they had impeached him, you you can't. I can't see a situation where where the Senate actually uh, you know convicted him. And you've even got people on the conservative side saying, you know, there's no evidence. Um, so so I do think you have a. You know, or, or you hope you have a country where you're going to have enough sane voices that are going to make sure that you know that 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 doesn't happen.
1: Yeah, and 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 as long as I, we're taking this to the full, uh, you know, conclusion, let's just let's just state the obvious. Uh, it doesn't matter if Illinois kicks Donald Trump off the ballot, just as though it doesn't matter if Alabama kicks Biden off the ballot. We, for reasons I'll never completely understand, uh, c- continue with the Electoral College, uh, which makes de- the de- democracy uh, moot. Popular vote is out the window. And so, really, all that matters is a swing state. So, is Wisconsin on the ballot? Are they both on the ballot in Wisconsin? Are they both on the ballot in Michigan? Are they both on the ballot in Pennsylvania?
2: They, they, they are but um I mean you, you got to remember a couple things this is the primary so we're just electing delegates and the delegates are going to go to the convention and decide who the presidential nominee is going to be so if um you know donald Trump is not on the ballot he's going to get fewer delegates that are going to go to uh to the convention and and be able to vote now I don't know about you but I still am not certain he's going to be viable uh, after this criminal trial, right? Um, I mean, it's a long way between now and November. And one of the other things you got to think about with the Supreme Court is that they're probably going to get up on appeal fairly soon, uh, the question of whether uh, the president has immunity from criminal prosecution. And whether they take that or don't take that, whether they stay the criminal prosecution uh, of Trump by the DOJ in D.C. Uh, so that it, it goes on beyond the election or whether they let that go forward, uh, you know, in the next couple months before the convention, um, you know, that could have an impact on on who is, uh, you know, who is 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 on the ballot in November. And so who the delegates are and who the delegates are pledged to um, You know, could matter more this year than it than it has in the past.
1: Well, now that you uh, mention that, this thought popped into my head. Uh, again, the uh, justices of the Supreme Court are political animals. Uh, they, I know they're all, but they don't want to make you think they're above the law, but m- most of them are uh, uh, they're politicians to a certain degree. Kavanaugh was an operative for the Republican Party in the 90s. Look it up, Ed. You can find it. Uh, he was part of Ken Starr's crusade against. Uh, Uh, Bill Clinton. And uh, so these are political animals. So they're cutting deals. You know this, Ed. So they'll probably say, all right, look, uh, I'll let you keep your guy on the ballot here. But you vote uh, uh, saying that uh, he uh, has immunity on all prosecutions, including. Come on, Kavanaugh. Even you can't say that. Now, I know Clarence Thomas will probably say that, but, you know, (laughs) He's the one guy who's like even Brett Kavanaugh is a little embarrassed by Clarence Thomas. So, uh, you, what you what you seem to be suggesting at is that they'll cut a deal. They'll put loud Trump to stay on the ballot in Colorado, uh, and in return, in exchange, they'll find I don't know Roberts and somebody else to join the the Democrats on the immunity issue. Uh, do you feel have a feeling that's going on?
2: Well, I threw that out so that you put those together. I'm, I'm not going to comment on that one.
1: Ed, man, tell you what, he was born at night, but he wasn't born last night, okay? He's going to let Ben make it. Stick his neck out. Uh, with these. I mean, that's what's going on, ladies and gentlemen. Absolutely. Wheeling a deal and behind the scenes. Uh, all right. And um, so let me ask you to relate uh, the, uh, uh, the Supreme's and uh, where they seem to be heading with uh, some cases here in Illinois. Get your thoughts on this one. So I don't know if you were involved in this case, uh, Ed, but back in 2011, I want to say, early 2011, the case may have been filed in uh, there was an issue regarding uh, Mayor Rahm Emanuel. Uh, well, before he wasn't mayor yet. And should he be allowed on the ballot or had he violated the city's residency requirements? Uh, and there was a case filed against him. Uh, I think he won on the local level with the Board of Election Commissioners. Oh, big surprise there. Uh, And then back in those days, those guys were just ruling for the Democratic Party. Feel free to uh, uh, contradict me, Ed, if you want, but you know I'm telling the truth. But then he lost on appeal. I'm not making this up, Ed. An appellate judge ruled against Rom, And so it went to the Supremes, Illinois Supremes, the baby Supremes, not the big daddy ones. And big surprise, shocking, breaking news, Ed. They let Rom stay on the ballot. Uh what a system. Uh so in your humble opinion, compare those two cases. Rahm's residency uh challenge uh and Donald Trump's insurrection challenge.
2: Well, I don't know that they have a lot of a, a lot of comparisons, except that you know some of it might have been outcome determinative and and political as much as as much as legal. Um but what was interesting about the the Maxim case, which is is the the name of the case that uh, the Supreme Court decided letting uh, Rahm Emanuel on the ballot, uh, is that there was a an extensive hearing and there was a lot of evidence and there were witnesses and um, you know the the electoral board said you know we we have the ability we have the rules we have the procedures to decide a complicated factual issue. Um but in this case they said we, we don't wanna do it. So I think in some cases, um, you know, the the board and the the, the judges, you know, depending on the outcome is is how much they, they wanna wanna wade
1: into it. Uh were you a lawyer on the Rom case? I, I was not. I was you're not. not. You were not uh and do you remember if Ann Burke recused herself or not? I, I can't remember. I think she did, but I can't remember for sure.
2: I, I, I believe she did as well, but I don't, you're, you're right. I don't remember.
1: I don't remember because I remember her uh, husband, uh, Ed Burke, at the time, was a big supporter of Chico. Uh, Gary Chico was running for mayor, and so had Ron been bounced off the ballot, which I, I kind of felt like he should have been bounced off the ballot. I believe he violated the residency. If you're going to have a requirement. Ed and I have had this argument. I believe in open – the libertarian in me believes in open ballot access. So even if you committed uh, insurrection of the government against mm-hmm. the government, even if you're uh, – if you um, are guilty of sexual assault in New York, even if you are a, a fraud, the, state, the courts of New York have li- ruled you a fraud. The libertarian in me said you should have the right to run anyway. Uh, the people, of the state, uh, people in the state, people the United States want to elect you a fraud, uh, a sexual assault uh criminal uh as their president well that says a lot about us um but uh i kind of believe that uh ann burke recused herself because her husband was supporting Gary chico um all right you've said used a term twice and i was negligent the first time in not asking you to, to elaborate and i believe the phrase was outcome determinative tip i can't even my writing Primitive. uh but
2: think, you you, no. you, you. You 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 know what the outcome is that you you want, and you decide uh, what you're going to do and how you're going to do it based on the outcome, as opposed to you know starting at point A and then taking the path and and seeing where it leads. And so, you know, I I think there are a lot of instances where, um, you know the you know the judges may have a. a a sense of what they want the outcome to be, and then they, they figure out how to get there, the, the easiest and best way to get there.
1: Well, uh, that gets uh, to the point uh, that the judge would probably make if they were talking to you in confidence over drinks. We cannot allow our Donald Trump to be kicked off the ballot because it will just be holy hell in this country. There'll be violence. Uh, the re- It's just utter chaos. If we do this, there's not enough time to get the ballots right. people The protests will be so uh, outrageous. The, the, the uh, accusations about uh, the deep state will continue. We just can't allow this to happen. Do you think there is some validity to their argument? I, I understand you made this point earlier that uh, that would just be, you know, uh, ceding your authority but do you think there's some uh there's some justification to this notion that it would just be too devastating for society
2: well to me it depends on where we wind up which i guess is outcome determinative but (laughs) the the so so article 14 talks about holding office as opposed to running for office and so It is possible that Donald Trump wins this case at the Supreme Court on grounds that are narrow enough so that if he wins, Congress can still say that he's not qualified based on the insurrection clause. And so what the justices might be thinking is, well, why should we stick our necks out here and cause all sorts of um, public outcry? when he may not even win. And if he doesn't win, we don't have to decide this. And if we don't have to decide this, why should we? So, so let's, let's kick the can down the road, see if he actually gets elected. And then we can decide whether he's qualified to hold office and, and who makes that decision and whether, whether it's Congress or, or, you know, the court, but, um, you know, the they may be thinking he let him on the ballot and let him lose. And that's the best, that's the best way to get
1: rid of him. Man. Talk about a risk. <laughs> we still have that electoral college that I alluded to earlier. And it's, it was very close for, in the electoral college, the last run when you consider the margin uh, that Biden beat Trump by uh, in States like Georgia, Wisconsin, Mich- Michigan, et cetera. But I hear what you're saying. I think that's in their minds too. Absolutely. Oh, I'm not going to stick my neck out when he, when the voters can do it, let let somebody else do the dirty work. Uh, how does this this case in your mind uh, compare with uh, Gore versus Bush in twenty in two thousand, when the Supremes essentially anointed uh, Bush a uh, president uh, by cutting off the vote recount in Florida?
2: Well, I think we're going to have to wait and see what the opinion looks like to to understand that, but you know. One of the things that was always interesting to me about Bush v. Gore is that the court basically said this this is a one off decision, you know, that this should not really be used as precedent for anything else. Um, you know, this is a one off decision. And and I think that was because they, you know, th- they were not really following any any particular principles of of uh, of law. And what's interesting is I'm reading a book right now uh, called Down Ballot that talks about a uh, Illinois case that was used uh, in the Bush v. Gore case, talking about the uh, intent of the voters in the hanging chads. And the Illinois Supreme Court uh, had decided that that issue uh, uh, about 10 years before Bush v. Gore. And and, uh, uh, that was one of the the, the cases that was involved and that was a, uh, suburban Chicago, uh, state representative race.
1: Yeah. Penny Paula and Rosemary Mulligan. And I just want to, I unbelievable how great minds think alike. Uh, Patrick Wall, the author of that book will be coming on the show to talk about the book. I, I just read that book myself, uh, and, and, uh, brought back a lot of memories. Uh, yes. And some of the, the lawyers involved was, were, were involved yeah. in uh, Bush versus Gore. All right. So, uh, let me ask you this, sort of a closing question. When you think of what you consider some of the most outrageous decisions in the state of Illinois, when it comes to the history of ballot access, in terms of allowing incumbents, (laughs) stretching the rules uh, to allow an incumbent to stay on the ballot because the the judges did not want to deal uh, with the uh, impact of upsetting a very powerful person um can you think of any that are more outrageous uh, than allowing an insurrectionist uh to remain on the ballot in violation of (laughs) the uh an amendment in the constitution
2: not not even close not even close um you know there there you know there's some some cases about a uh a Democrat signing a Republican's petition or uh, a candidate for alder person, um, you know, being registered in one place and living in another place and, and getting on the ballot. Um, but those those are minor, you know, th- those are minor things. Um, there's nothing I can think of that is that is anywhere uh, anywhere near this in, in Illinois ballot access cases.
1: Uh, I agree. I, I even Rom residency doesn't approach this, in my humble opinion. There was a couple. I won't bore you with the. I have memories of some aldermanic fights where the judges bent over backwards to keep the incumbent on. I'm oh like, God, <laughs> that's an interesting ruling. Uh, I but I just the the sheer significance of allowing an incumbent alderman to stand the ballot, Ed, as opposed to allowing the insurrectionist president uh, to remain on the ballot. Yeah. He,
2: you well, what's say. interesting is is some people look at it the other way and they say, wow, it's such a huge thing for us to knock someone who's a president off presidential candidate off the ballot. So well, it's easy to knock someone who's a candidate for school board off the ballot or, or someone who's running for state representative because it only has a, a small impact. But they just see the idea that they're going to knock someone who's a presidential candidate off the ballot as something that's just too big. An issue for them to wrap their arms around, but what I see is just the exact opposite of that, which is that it, it's more important in this case because of the the power that a president has and the uh, level of of wrongdoing that he engaged in uh, relative to you know a minor technical issue with a with a petition or or where you live. Um, this just seems to me that. People shouldn't be thinking this is too big to uh, knock them off the ballot. They should be thinking this is too big to leave them on the ballot.
1: All right. So let me uh, ask you this. and This is uh, the devil's advocate question. Um, so do you think I'm, I follow today's hearing? And listen to the questions and the exchanges, and came to the conclusion: all oh, there, it's going to be. Well, I said nine to nothing, and then you said eight to one. I go, all right, I'll buy eight to one. Uh, but it's going to be pretty overwhelming to keep them on the ballot and uh, rule against Colorado and and essentially throw out of court the Illinois case, the main case, whatever the other states there are. Um, so I just presume maybe I'm wrong. You know, I've been wrong before, Ed. Uh, well, and... well,
2: I mean, what you have to realize is that, you know, sometimes the judges are testing things out as yeah. they're going through the oral argument and they're, you know, they, they've, they've, they've written an opinion in their mind and there's a hole and they, they want to fill that hole. So they ask the tough question and it sounds to you like they're trying to poke the hole when what they're really trying to do is to fill the gap in their reasoning and 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 have you help them. Uh, get from point A to point B so so I wouldn't be as um, you know as pessimistic as you are but um, the the reality is that you know we have a court where three of the justices were appointed by by Trump uh, you've got Clarence Thomas and and Samuel Alito who are um, you know the, who, who are never gonna gonna get there and you know you have you have Justice Roberts who. Um, really doesn't want to make waves. Um, you know, he, he's worried about his legacy, and and his legacy is 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 not going to be very impressive given uh, you know how the court has has uh, has ruled in a lot of cases uh, in the last couple of years. And I think he's going to go down as one of the the weaker. Uh, chief justices and, and uh, will not be remembered fondly by historians or lawyers.
1: Yeah. um, What what a a jury, historians and lawyers, just imagine a jury of historians and lawyers determining your legacy. Uh, What I was getting at was that, that, in other words, the questions they were asking, they were just playing the role of devil's advocate Uh, It's not necessarily believed what they were asking, but they were asking the questions, as you were suggesting, uh, to help them, to assist them uh, in writing uh, their decision to boot Trump from the ballot. So that's why I call the devil's advocacy theory of jurisprudence. Uh, I put that out there, uh, Ed, in case they go that way. uh, And when they do, I will tell all my listeners I was right how I predicted (laughs) that. That's how you do it in the media when you're a pundit. You like you say 10 things and you're wrong nine times, but you, you highlight the, the 10th thing and then we're goddamn, this guy is smart. Um, but I, I, I basically uh, I am well, I, I'll use your word pessimistic, uh, that the judges uh, will rule against Trump. Just I was pessimistic pessimistic back in 2010 or 11, whenever it was that this that the Illinois Supremes rule against Rom. Uh, and back in the day, throughout the uh, O's, I never believed they would rule against an incumbent alderman at the Chicago Board of Election Commissioners. And guess what, Ed? I don't think they ever ruled against an incumbent alderman. And you, you can correct me because you have a lot. Your memory in this stuff is probably better than mine. But I don't believe they ever ruled against an incumbent alderman. Uh, definitely if Casper was on the case. Oh, Ma- Michael Madigan's lawyer. Casper walked into a, bo- a hearing and the, like the, the election board lawyers be like, is like Sinatra going to Vegas. The lights went up. That's oh, our guy. <laughs> so I, I I think it's going to be like one of those things. Uh, by the way, can you remember them ever ruling against an alderman, booting an alderman from the ballot?
2: I mean, so so Anthony Beal, who is an alderman, was removed as a ward committee person candidate, and and I've seen that happen before. But as a, as an alderman running for for reelection as an alderman, I I cannot recall uh anyone being knocked off the ballot of course you do have uh uh Alice Palmer who was the incumbent state senator who was knocked off the ballot by Barack Obama
1: well by the election he she, he was challenged by Barack Obama and uh the uh it was it was a state board of elections or the city i can't remember who uh i, I don't know who would have would have had that by the way, can you think of any federal officers or, excuse me, federal candidates who have been knocked off the ballot here in Illinois? I can't like a a congressman because uh, this gets into the issue of federal versus state. Uh, I can't at the moment think of any congressional candidates. Can you? Uh,
2: I, I can think of congressional candidates, not not incumbents. Um, you know, there have been candidates that just haven't filed enough signatures and and done things wrong, but they've never been uh, what I would have considered know highly viable candidates. They've usually just been
1: proving my point. Uh, yeah. But would they uh in that matter, who would who would knock them off the like if you were challenging the candidacy, the ballot access of a congressional candidate for a federal office, which body in Illinois would rule in that?
2: It, it depends on the geography of the uh of the district. So in a lot of cases it's the uh state board of elections. Um, but there are some where the the District is entirely in the city of Chicago or entirely in Cook County, and so it's Cook County or the the city of Chicago. So, so I have some cases this cycle in the seventh congressional district, and that was decided by the Chicago Board of Elections because of the because most of the seventh congressional district is in the city of Chicago.
1: Yes, and seventh congressional, you were you were defending someone's access to the ballot or challenging them. We,
2: I, I challenged a couple candidates in that race. Look, and
1: folks, if you could see that face, it's like, yeah, okay. maybe I knocked him off the ballot. Maybe I did. Maybe I didn't, Ben. <laughs> uh, yeah. So uh, just for all you you folks out there who think that states don't have the right uh to challenge federal candidates. Well, and Mullen can tell you they do. Uh It's you can choose to enforce the law, Ed, or you can look the other way. And I think right now, what did you call it? The outcome uh, determinative, uh, I believe that's the phrase I learned for the day. I'm going to go study it, look it up and study it and read about it and become an expert on it because I think that's what's going on here, in my humble opinion. Uh, and I could be wrong, Ed. And if I'm wrong, we'll bring you back and we'll explain and dismiss you. can lead us through like what's next uh, if they do bounce Right. Well, you uh, usually
2: usually I'm... wait long enough between calling me so that people have forgotten what you said the last time we <laughs> talked and you got to start with a clean slate.
1: <laughs> uh, I don't I really don't know what to say to that. He kind of nailed me on that one. Uh all right, Ed, I won't let as much time go by uh next time and one time we'll we'll review one of my favorite Ed Mullen cases having to do uh with Lake County Supreme Court candidates. Uh and uh that's Absolutely one of my favorite Ed Mullen uh, war stories. Uh, He may have, in his own way, uh, been responsible, more responsible than anybody else in a convoluted way for the Democrats taking over the Supremes. But we'll, um, here in Illinois, but we'll have that conversation another time. All right, Ed? All right. Thank you. Very good. That's Ed Mullen. Uh, and I also want to thank producer Chris. He does an outstanding job. And I think Ed and Donald Trump would agree with you when they say, hey, producer Chris, give yourself a
0: raise. Take it out of petty cash. Peace and love, everybody. And remember, you can always find previous Ben Jarofsky shows. Benny J. Bonus interviews, columns from Ben Jarofsky, newsletter articles from Ben Jarofsky, all at chicagoreader.com. If you want to follow Ben on Instagram, it's at Benny J. Show. And don't forget to like, subscribe, and follow the Ben Jarofsky Show on your favorite streaming and podcasting platforms.